Amen. Thank you for allowing me to recover in that way. So the sermon's kind of about repentance, and I just demonstrated an act of repentance. You know, I made a mistake, I repented, and there we are. We're moving forward together. So there we go. You know, we don't always sing the Gloria Patri uh, anymore, but when we do, it always reminds me when I was a kid and we would sing it, and I had no idea what I was singing. I just knew there was some grand, something big going on, and I didn't really fully understand, which really, when I reflect on it, that's not any more than I know now. So, um, but it just helps us to kind of open that lens, you know, and look at the whole picture and go, oh my gosh, we live in a world. Uh, glory be to the Father. You know, uh, before there was anything there was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now that we know what we know, it was a gift. It's all life is a gift from that same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then at the end of all things, whatever still remains will be in the hands of that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here we are together. Okay, so we move quickly from the uh, Gloria Patri, which we've been singing as a church for almost 2,000 years, um, to uh, a song that we haven't been singing for near that long. Uh, those of you that maybe were were teenagers in the 70s, or if you still listen to classic rock stations today, you will be familiar with the song Signs. Anybody remember? Signs, signs, everywhere, signs. Blocking out the scenery, right? Breaking my mind. Do this. Don't do that. Can't you read the signs? Y'all remember that? No one's going to admit that they remember it, but you you do. We still You still hear it on classic rock today. Uh, it's still out there. It's a big song. By the five-man electrical band. You know, you don't have to get cute with your band name. Five-man electrical band. And so uh, Les Emerson writes this song in 1970 in Canada, and it was kind of released on a B-side, and, and it didn't really, didn't, nobody really knew about it. And then in 71, it was re-released as an A-side, and it just blew up. It made it to, I think, number three on the uh, top 100 charts here in the States, and Anyways, it's a song that's packed with God language and sin language and all kinds of things when you really look at the words. But what I love about the song is it's kind of a, it's, it's this sort of uh, almost like a protest song. It's like a prophetic song that says, you know, gosh, we're just tired of all these things. Just tell us what we can and can't do, which is like the classic teenage angst song. It's the song when you're a teenager that you just think, man, if people only understood me. If they only understood what it was like to be me, and I see things, I'm a revolutionary, I see things like no one's ever seen them before. Yeah, and when you're not a teenager anymore, you're like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I can't believe I ever thought that way or wanted to do anything like that. I wish those teenagers would just be quiet, right? Um, so, but it kind of captures that for us. And while the song in itself is, you know, it's just a song, but it's talking about signs and it's discontent with the signage of our day. And it's a nice segue into the passage that Brandy read for us today where Jesus is really tired of people asking for signs. He's really irritated with the constant request and demand for signs. So that's where we pick up this uh, gospel reading this week in Luke chapter 11. Earlier in the chapter, uh, people are demanding signs. They're asking for one more. You know, people are amazed at the miracles and the healings and all sorts of things. And they just keep demanding more signs. They just want the next cool thing. You know, they want another big thing. And Jesus is finally, he, he doesn't treat it just sort of like this benign thing, like, oh, well, you people. He's pretty upset. You're like, y'all need to quit this asking for signs business. 
asking for signs, demanding signs, sort of putting God to the test, in Luke's gospel is associated with the demonic. Right? It's not just some simple little harmless thing. But in fact, uh, the demand for Jesus to do something spectacular right now, on my terms, in my place, when I say so, reminds us of the temptation narrative in the wilderness where Satan himself said, hey, Jesus, do something spectacular now on my terms, in my place, do it right now. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. <laughs> we don't put God to the test like that. That's not how we are going to win. And then he proceeds to um, win in a different way through humility and through grace and strength. And so it's, we're, it's, I'm very sympathetic. The, the request for signs is a, is a natural thing for us. We live by signs. Even just this morning as I was walking in the church, I looked around and it was a great view of the stars. And you could see the dipper and the north star and you look around and I just, it's, it's beautiful. We are just naturally as humans, we're drawn to signs, to things great and wondrous. And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes the desire for signs for something spectacular causes us to look for the wrong thing. We start looking for a short-term fix to our long-term challenges, right? We as Christians can be some of the worst. We almost become like addicts for the next cool thing that's going to happen. The next cool thing that's going to happen in church or in this ministry or in wherever. And it's not a solution to our long-term struggle. Jesus gives us a hint about what our long-term solution is to our long-term challenges in the passage immediately before where a woman in the crowd raises her voice to Jesus and says, Oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful. Blessed is the womb that bore you, right? And the, the mother that raised you, that nurtured you, and, 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 and saying, you're, you're so wonderful, you know, blessed she must be. And, and Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's a little key. Hearing the word of God, keeping the word of God, doing the word of God becomes the way that we respond. Instead of seeking for signs, this is the long-term pathway. Even Mary, and who is indeed blessed, who we revere in, as a church, uh, is, is blessed partly because she is the one who leads us in this, right? She, she believes. She hears the word of God, and she keeps it. And Luke has put her out there as an example for us. So blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the long-term vision that we get. This text goes through these big Old Testament buzzwords, right? Jesus speaks to the crowds who are looking for a sign, and he begins to address them, calling them an evil generation. An evil generation. That's a scathing comment. You're an evil generation. You look for a sign, but no sign will be given you except for the sign of Jonah. For Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now over spring break, I was driving through Comanche County, and I saw a sign that said, oh, this is too perfect. I saw a sign that said, Nineveh Cemetery, <laughs> that way. <laughs> I thought, this is great. So I looked it up, just I didn't have time to stop. But it's a little, little, little community there in Comanche County. Uh, with, you know, a handful of graves, and apparently there's a historical marker, and a Harvard-educated person came out and named the town Nineveh, and I'm thinking that was just it, to spite the place, you know, going, this this must be the end of the world, calling it Nineveh. 
But, uh, you know, it's we, we understand Jonah. We get it even in our culture. And in antiquity, they definitely understood the sign of Jonah. It, they, Nineveh was famous for being these awful people that were the last people we would expect to respond positively to God. And in fact, old Jonah, when he finally gets there, he preaches the word of God to them. And what do they do? They repent. They turn around to everyone's surprise. Still, when we read the story, we're surprised. The people turn around. And so Jesus says, look, the only sign I'm giving you is the sign of Jonah. And in fact, something greater than Jonah is here. So, if, you know, if you're not waking up to that, here, here I am. He goes on. He elaborates. The queen of the south or the queen of Sheba, as we know it in the story, will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south who, you know, comes to Solomon sort of investigating. She's testing him out to see if he's the real deal. When she figures out that he is, she makes an alliance with him and to demonstrate that, hey, I'm on board. I believe you. And this little marker that where Luke says, you know, from Jesus said from the ends of the earth. And, and it's designed to get us thinking about the people that are coming to Jesus from the ends of the earth. Right. The Nineveh is repenting. The ends of the earth are repenting. But those that are here that I would expect, Jesus says, to be responding and repenting, y'all just keep begging me for signs. The only sign I'm going to give you, he says, is the sign of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, I didn't understand. I was, I'm trying, you know, we're following the text and we're reading through Luke together during these days of Lent. These chapters of Luke where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Right? We had Transfiguration Mountain a couple of weeks ago. Now the descent has happened. They're making their way to Jerusalem and they're encountering folks along the way. That's where all the crowds are and everything's going on. So I'm, I'm just staying on track. And I looked at these two paragraphs together this week. And as I began to study, I thought, why are these two paragraphs grouped together? I don't understand. It doesn't seem to fit. Uh, maybe there's been a mistake. <laughs> and I realized as I kept studying that there's a lot of connecting words in that paragraph and in the one we're about to read. No one, Jesus says, he tells a little parable, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now, your translation may say when your eye is evil. And that would be a, a better translation. It's the same word as you evil generation. And Jesus talks about what happens when we have an evil eye. I'm like, oh, okay, that's it's connected. It's connected. Jesus is telling a parable about what's going on inside of our lives. Are our lives on the inside reflecting light or are they reflecting something that is dark because of the darkness that is inside. Now, people in those days, their way of understanding physiology of the eye was, was that you didn't take light in through your eyes, but instead your, your, the light came from inside and, and went out. So if, if you saw, you know, hey, someone has dark eyes, you know, light eyes, it was all about what was going on the inside 
of a person. So that's why Jesus can continue to say, you don't light a lamp, you don't light a candle, and then stick something over it. You don't drop it down in the cellar, but instead you put it on a stand where people can see. It's his way of saying what's on the inside is going to come out. You can't just look for signs, he says, and, and wait for the next thing. Meanwhile, not being converted all the time on the inside, that's not how this thing is going to work. He said, actually, this is, a, this is a project of light. This is about the whole body being full of light, all of life being illuminated by the presence of God, the one greater than Jonah that's here to announce the kingdom of God, that there is life possible. And we get a chance to latch on to that. This call to uh, a long-term fix to a long-term problem is, uh, when I think about it this way, and, and the call to light, the call for conversion, the call for repentance, this is a real hopeful tone for me when I read this. Uh, I think of the, uh, the, the sail barn horse, okay? So now, now some of you guys have horse experience. Um, but the, the sail barn horse that you see is different very often from the horse that you may buy and take home. Are you, are you with me? I suppose it happens in other types of life. I see some smiles out there, you know. So the idea with a sail barn horse, you know, and, and horse traders were notorious for this. You'll take a horse that you want to get rid of, and you don't really want to sell him to your friends, uh, so you take him to the sail barn, <laughs> to the sail. But now when you take him to the sail barn sale, what you're going to do is you're going to make him show his best. And if he's a real gentle horse and he's truly a gentle horse, you're going to put your kid on him. Put him in the sail ring and they're going to, you know, hey, jump, jump, climb off his back, grab his ears. Let's show, the, let's show the audience that he's a gentle horse. If he's not actually a gentle horse, but you want people to think he's gentle, then you maybe don't give him water the day before. You ride him down real good and you put somebody on him that really knows what they're doing and they can keep him reined in nice. And you put him in the ring and he spins circles and you think, oh man, that horse is really nice. And then someone buys him and you're thinking, oh, uh, and you kind of apologize when you hand the reins off. You know, you may or may not know what you're getting. And at Christianity, we do this sometimes. You know, we, we image management. We go, oh, man, I got to put myself in the sale ring and the people are going to be watching me. So I got to kind of clean up the outside stuff. But my dad would always talk about the disposition of a horse. That's where I learned what the word disposition means is working with animals. You can't just mask forever the actual disposition of an animal. And to get a gentle horse, a horse that wants to work with you, it takes years of training. It takes years of trust building and watching how they respond in difficult circumstances, watching how they respond when they're afraid. And you can't just manufacture that disposition in a horse overnight. I don't know why we think it would be any different in people. We are creatures of habit. And so we change our behaviors, not overnight, but we change our disposition over time. And we gain a disposition of light when we follow Jesus. And this can take years and years and years. Um, but it is a project worth our entire lives. I think of the hopeful tone of this passage and kind of ends in verse 35. You know, after talking about repentance and these things, and we're kind of, we're feeling a little bit scathed because Jesus has called us an evil generation. And then 
call attention to our evil eye, the times that our eye is evil. But it closes by saying, therefore, consider or pay careful attention to the interior life, right? The hearing and the doing of the word of God. It's an understanding of repentance that's not so focused on what's behind us, but what's in front of us. It's a repentance that moves us forward. It's a repentance that has our eyes going this way, saying we're going to change things by starting with the interior life. We're not going for any image management. We're not going for what other people, we're going for the genuine life change that will result in light through us and around us that has the power to convert, the power to heal, the power to bring comfort, just like Jesus did wherever he went. When I think of this long-term forward repentance, I think this vision of the whole body being full of light, I think of Psalm 139. Remember the prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer that's looking for the long-term solution to our long-term challenge. Knowing that it starts with me. It starts inside. It starts with my eye, with inside my body. Right? The, whole, the hope of the whole body being full of light. Praying that prayer, Lord, search me and know me. Get to the very bottom, right? The gut level, honest part of me. And would you seek to change that? Would you flood that part of me with light? Maybe that part of me that I've been scared to let other people in on, that I've only ever dreamed of you know, never telling anybody about. But I desperately want for that illumination. I want light to shine in that part of me. The long-term way forward of repentance, the good news repentance that Jesus is calling us to, forward-looking repentance, is a, is a repentance of training. It's a repentance of training our eyes and our ears to love and to see and to hear something different. St. Augustine loved to talk about this, how our will and our intellect are so dynamic and so powerful that they must be, they must be trained. They must be delighted, right? It's just like keep going back to the horse example, but it has to be, it takes training. It, take, it takes wooing and invitation. It takes patience. Our wills must be delighted, must be awakened by something strong enough, powerful enough, good enough, beautiful enough for us to think, hey, that's worthy of my attention. That's worthy of my time. And it doesn't happen overnight. To quote uh, the great theologian uh, Terry Henley, just this morning, I'm not kidding, we were talking before church, and we were talking about doing things, and uh, he, said, he said, you know, the way I like to see it, uh, we were talking about a variety of things, you only make mistakes when you're doing something, right? You only make mistakes when you're doing something, and it's so true. We get caught up as Christians so often in just being afraid of, not, of messing up, of not doing the right thing, that we just, we just sort of hobble ourselves. 
And that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a full bore, full desire life. It's wide open, right? There's no choke on the Christian life. We don't have to hold in our true selves. Rather, we, we let it rip. You know, we let it go. And we allow God to shape those desires and truly who we are. And it makes for a witness in the world. Search me, O God. Know my heart. While I'm in motion, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's like Jesus is saying, look, instead of your eyes looking for signs, which is natural, I want you to look for light. I want you to look for the signs that are among you. Jesus is saying, really, I am the sign, okay? The sign of Jonah, that's all you're going to get. By the way, something greater than Jonah is here. And if you don't see it, you're missing out on what your eyes were created to see in the first place. So what are some signs that we see when our eyes are good? I want to close with this. What are some signs that we see when our eyes are good? As Christians, what are the signs that, what are we supposed to look at? If we're not supposed to look for these big wowing signs that just, that we can always, you know, every week, just that trump card of, man, you'll never guess what happened in my life. You'll never guess what happened in my church. And it's always better the next week. It's always better, you know, and, and we know people like that. We're, it's always, always better somewhere else, that kind of thing. The signs we see with good eyes, to be frank, the sign that we see is Christ. And how do we see Christ? We see Christ all the time in the Word, in the written Word, in the proclaimed Word, in the Word that you and I speak to one another when we gather for worship, when we pray the Psalms of David together, and I say something and you say it back, and we're speaking the words of God to one another. We see Christ in the Word of God. We see Him. We also see Christ in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's a sign. It's a gift. Right in the bread, in the breaking of the bread, and the pouring of the wine, we see grace. We see a sign of forgiveness. We see Jesus himself. We see the cross. And we're reminded of love. We're reminded of the power of God and transformation that's available to us as Christians. Not only do we, do we see Christ as a sign with our eyes, another thing that we see is other Christians. I'm thankful for Dietrich Bonhoeffer's language for this. Um, it comes from the early pages of his book called Life Together. And uh, actually Nate, our youth director, this summer when he led a staff devotional, he read to us some excerpts from this, and this was one of the things that he read. But uh, Bonhoeffer comments, he says, you know, to the prisoner or to the sick person or to the Christian in exile, like to those who know they're in trouble, the companionship of a fellow Christian is a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. Isn't that great? When we know we're in trouble, when we're sick, when we're in prison, when we're being persecuted, when life is hard, when we lose a loved one, the companionship of a fellow Christian is a gracious sign of God's love for us. Tomorrow we will bury one of those signs. When we bury Gene Lee, we're saying goodbye to one of those signs in our midst. 
one of those people that we look at and we see a whole body full of life. She is this sort of sign among us. Whether we are little children or whether we're older children, <laughs> she is that sign to us. And we have the hope of being that sign to others, to one another, just as Christ is that sign to us. So as we continue on this journey of discipleship, may we have our eyes trained for the long view, the long view of the daily, humble, powerful, beautiful work of having our lives transformed in the image of God. May we not settle for the short-term temptations and the quick fixes, but may we be open. May we be encouraged by the signs of Christ, the signs of one another, that this life is possible, and in fact, it is the life that is worth living. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.